Welcome to On the Vine ETF Podcast, a must-listen-to podcast for insight from straight-talking ETF industry professionals led by Chris Hempstead, Managing Director and Head of ETF Trading for Moray Asset Securities, Inc. On the Vine, where we explore the ETF industry's landscape news and events that put our ever-changing industry into perspective as we strive to educate all audiences on the role ETFs play in the democratization of finance. Each episode, Chris is joined by thought leaders and financial market disruptors to give their thoughts on where the industry is heading and what products to review to expand your knowledge of leading products and strategies. Once you listen, you'll want to subscribe at otvpodcast.com so you won't miss a single episode. Now here's your host, Chris Hempstead. Hi, I'm Chris Hempstead. Welcome to On The Vine Podcast. I am the Managing Director of Equity and Portfolio Trading here at Murray Asset Securities. We're an authorized participant for ETFs. Uh, we involve ourselves heavily in creating and redeeming ETFs and soon to be market making. So more on that later. What I'd like to do is kick off this episode with our first six month highlights of 2023 in the ETF space using some data that we uh, collect from our friends over at ETF Action. We were observing the, the top inflows of ETFs uh, this year. Uh, where, where is that? Where are we seeing big inflows? Multi-factor ETFs, quality equity ETFs, $40 billion of inflows across those two categories. Really impressive. You know, so we're, we're going to continue to keep an eye on that space and, and figure out you know, if that's a sustainable amount of inflows. But certainly, uh, you know, a big round of applause to all the managers out there who've, who've been you know, successful in distribution. I'll talk a little bit with our guest later, Mike Venuto, about what these funds are, what is a multi-factor, what is a quality fund. Um, but uh, for now, I'll just continue on with the highlight reel. Um, who are the victims this year in terms of uh, inflows? We're always gonna talk about the outflows. Low vol ETFs, uh, they really, over at ETF Action, they pointed out that low vol ETFs have lost about $8 billion of assets this year. Now, you know, that's something to keep an eye on as well. It could be a sentiment thing in the market, but uh, one thing is low vol ETFs, since they launched a little over 10 years ago, I think SPLV was the, the one that came to market a little over 10 years ago um, and, and many more behind it. But one thing to keep in mind is they've had plenty of days in the spotlight. So, you know, six months of outflows, you know, we'll keep an eye on it and we'll see where that goes, but these funds are not going away. So more to come on that, I suppose. Um, as for performance, we're talking about asset flows, and that doesn't really tell you how things are doing. But as for performance in 2023, you know, I'm looking at their, I'm looking at the top list of 3,000 plus ETFs that are tracked, and the, the list is dominated by Bitcoin or digital asset or digital miner ETFs. You know, anything in the crypto space, really. And they, they do include the futures-based strategies, but most of them are actually equity-based strategies investing in companies that are in that sector. Some of these ETFs in, the, in that Bitcoin crypto digital sector are up over 200% this year. Um, they absolutely dominate the list of top performers. And so uh, we'll be talking a little bit more about that as well today. Um, I wanted to sort of strip that away, though, because it was so noisy with, with the, the crypto digital space. Uh, and I wanted to find a non-crypto digital type ETF that's doing really well this year. And I found one, PP. Uh, that's the Meet Kevin ETF. It's up over 50% this year. It just launched late in 2022. They've had great growth in assets. You know, their shares outstanding has been, you know, ratcheting up. And they're, they're a very young, you know, ETF, but they're showing great signs of success 
and performance. And we'll get a chance also to talk with, uh, with Mike about that fund in this episode. The loser's table on the performance uh, you know, scorecard is basically cannabis funds and regional bank ETFs. Those, those areas are down you know, in the neighborhood of 25% this year. Um, we know what happened with regional banks. That was all over the headlines this year. Cannabis has just been you know, having a rough go. And so with that, we'll move on to the guts of our episode here. I'm excited to bring in our guest, Mike Venuto, who's the co-founder and CIO of Title Financial Group. Mike, he's a friend of mine. I've known him for a long time. We've been fishing together. We've done business together. Um, so with that, um, Mike, I, I just mentioned PP, okay? That's uh, what an amazing fund. Um, tell me about this. First of all, who is Kevin and how did you meet him? Yeah, so <laughs> operative word meet. Yes. So, you know, Title Financial, we're a platform that has helped over 80 ETFs and $7 billion of assets come to this market. We trade with Murray and, and Chris. We've known him for a very long time. Meet Kevin is somebody who found us and wanted to launch an ETF. Now, he's got an amazing story. He's a young, young man who's built himself up to, I think it's 11 million uh, YouTube subscribers or, or YouTube downloads. 11 million? Yeah. Yeah, like it's a crazy number. <laughs> like, let's hope we get this podcast yeah, to yeah. eleven thousand, right? <laughs> uh, but uh, so he built that up, and he's like a self-made man, right? He did real estate. He built up his own equity portfolio, and maybe like a year and a half, two years ago, he did an episode where he showed his own portfolio, and he had this idea: Why don't I just put this in an ETF and let other people invest alongside me, and I'll never have to pay taxes again? Right, so it, it dawned on him that as an influencer, people wanted to invest alongside. What's him. his strategy? What, so what does so he what strategy, does he do different than everyone yeah. else? Is he buying stocks? Is he buying so real he's, estate? Is he's he... buying stocks. He's a concentrated portfolio. Um, his top position is Tesla. His thesis is purchasing power. Right, so that's what PP stands for. Even though he does a lot of jokes around the PP, it really means purchasing power. No kidding. So. The best thing that I saw him do recently was he went to Elon Musk's Tesla's um, shareholder meeting, got them to acknowledge him, stood up and said, hi, Elon, I'm me, Kevin. I Tesla's the biggest position in my PP, my ETF. You hear Elon laugh. And then he goes on to tell them how he thinks they should do advertising more and all that stuff. And Elon actually acknowledged it and went on CNBC and actually talked about how, you know, no it's nice to hear from shareholders. So not only is he, building a portfolio of the companies that he believes have true purchasing power, pricing power, but he's also acting on as an active uh, shareholder and speaking, doing the things on behalf of his constituents that they want him to do. Now, does he have a lot of turnover? Does he move no, things around a lot? Uh, he, he does. He is an active manager, but I wouldn't say there's huge turnover. It's more managing position size, um, taking some gains when there's something as a winner. It's it's a thoughtful strategy, and he has the ability to go where the puck is going. He doesn't yes. have to wait for an index to tell him to do it. Nope. He can he can be ahead of the curve, and in many cases, if yeah. he's right. Yeah. So it sounds it sounds pretty cool. I'd like to meet him one day. I'm uh, sure you know. I'm sure we will. Um, also, uh, so so uh, thank you for that, by the way, because uh, we are we you know we we're familiar with the fund, but I wasn't that familiar with the fund, yeah. so that that'll be. I think be you've done a creator two for him. Oh, so. A little bit. Yeah. Here. <laughs> yeah. We, we, you know, it's funny. We do so much creation and redemption, and a lot of times we lose sight of the of the the whole thesis behind yeah. what we're creating and redeeming because it's you know it's, it's people's lives, driven. right? Like yeah. It, I mean, that's one of the things I love about our business is people come to us with ideas, and we can help them figure out how to formulate it 
and make it into the best investment vehicle in the world, which is that ETF structure. Yeah. Right. It's, oh, it's an incredibly yeah. efficient vehicle. Yeah. And, and, you know, look, tax efficiency, you, you, you alluded to it. You know, Kevin recognized that, obviously, and said, well, if I have this in this vehicle, there's tax efficiency. I'm going to stay invested. And just so everybody knows, when we talk about tax efficiency, no one is saying tax avoidance. That is not a, no. that is not a thing. If you have a gain, you have a gain. What tax efficiency of ETFs really is, is allowing the fund to operate efficiently without triggering the gains. In other words, the in-kind receipt and delivery of securities helps managers avoid triggering a gain. They still have a gain and they will realize a gain at some point or another, but... Yeah, so a lot of people like to call this a loophole. It's not at all a loophole. It's actually the better thing for investors because it's rewarding good behavior, right? So. If you buy an ETF and hold it, well, 94% of ETFs have never distributed a cap gain. That means you don't pay taxes on that ETF until you sell the ETF. Right. Whereas with the old structures, the mutual funds, you could be getting distributed gains and have a loss. It makes no sense. So it's not a loophole, it's a reward for the good behavior of long-term investing. And just also, it's not unique to ETFs. It's unique to the 40X structure. Yes. And, and that's important for people to realize. It's not a, oh, ETFs can do this and no one else can. It's, it's not true, but it's easier to do, I suppose, in the ETF. Well, you got to get a market maker who's willing to accept the overnight Correct. risk. Correct. A mutual fund only prices <laughs> once a day. How, how often do you want to take overnight risk on a mutual fund? You know, <laughs> yeah. yeah, we're not going to get you to commit to that one. <laughs> Recently, I was I was poking around at some of the stuff you've been chatting about online. Um, you've obviously got your own big following. You were talking about the Magnificent Seven, which, which you know, I had a, you know, I don't always know these things off the top of my head, but it's kind of a cool little, you know, catchphrase. So that's the... Uh, the Fang stocks plus Tesla plus Nvidia. Yep. Um, what What's your observation there? Because I because if I if I think yeah. I saw what I what you said, it's it's pretty alarming. I mean, look, that's the entire return of the market, right? So, like, if you look at value stocks year to date, they're up about one percent. You look at that basket of the those seven stocks, they're up you know north of sixty percent, right? So, that's why there's such a top heavy market this year. If there wasn't the AI buzz we would probably have a down market this year, right? Like um, what's keeping up these stocks is the belief of, of AI changing the world. You know what? It is gonna change the world. Um, we're behind, uh, you know, on our platform, we have Round Hill's new chat ETF. We have many people talking to us about all kinds of AI strategies. I'm just not totally convinced that the valuation is justified today. It is definitely justified for three or four years from now. Um, I don't know that, um, where it goes in the short run, a lot of times it's going to go up another 100, 200% before people start to uh, That's a lot of concentration sober. in a small yeah. number of names. And, <laughs> yeah. and it, it worries me. It worries me for two, for two reasons. One is there's this herd pack mentality of uh, everybody's chasing the same, you know, yeah. everyone's chasing the same thing and, and people aren't being creative and saying, well, I, everyone's buying these things, right or wrong, if everyone's buying them, they're driving the price up. There's this herd mentality push that I'm not going to say artificially inflates these prices, but it certainly creates quite a bit of tailwind, you know, for these securities, you know, to, to outperform everything else. But it, it, it makes me wonder how much opportunity is there in the other 993 stocks out of the top 1,000 that are not getting the love. You know, that's probably where the next heroes are. I would imagine, but I, I picking those is not my forte. That's more your yeah. forte. But, you know. um, it, look, if 
you given the, the the recap of the first six months coming into January, I would have said value instead of growth. Wrong, right? It's been all growth and it's been all an AI story. Um, the growth indexes are up thirty and the value indexes are up one. Uh, you do have this phenomenon that I know we wanted to talk about with the the single stocks, right? Talk about real concentration. Well Right, we've, we've gone from one of the ideas of an ETF is diversification. Yeah. Now we have single stock securities. Um, and you know, you mentioned those seven, you have the Fang Plus group that Rex has in the ETNs. You just saw Roundhill do big banks, like the top five big banks or the top five big oil companies. So you're seeing this move from diversification to concentration. I'm sure we'll see the top five you know well when we uh, how many times have you been out you know backyard fire pit or at a yeah. dinner party and you're having a conversation with someone who's not in our business you get excited you're talking about something like this what do they say almost every single time is there an etf for that yeah. you know and and i was going to ask you that you already kind of answered yeah. it but you, you know um but the, the, that's what people will say is well okay is there an etf for these seven can i buy it and then more importantly, is there an inverse? Yeah. How do I take the other side of that? And then is there a leveraged one? Right. <laughs> yeah. And so you talked about single stock ETFs. Tell me about one that you recently brought to market. I, uh, TSLY, I think is the ticker. Yeah. So but what's the story behind that? Because if I understand it correctly, I had always thought that the single stock uh, leverage and single stock inverse ETFs could only be achieved by using swaps. Mm -hmm. But you figured out a different way to do it. Yeah. So... The single stock idea of an ETF has been around since 2008. I think Greg King at Rex originally tried to do it in volatility shares. Then it went over to Europe. Uh, Jose uh, went and did it in Europe. And so did Will Rind. And now it's here. And when it got here, everybody ran and filed for leveraged and inverse. Now, what allows you to do it here is a new rule. Now, I don't want to put your people to sleep and <laughs> whatever, but the rule is called 18F4. It's, it's the derivatives rule. Um, that rule democratized the ability to do leverage to everybody instead of just direction and pro shares, but it also limited leverage. So what you right. saw was a lot of people filed for one and a half times Tesla or one and a quarter times Tesla or one and a quarter times Nvidia. And those didn't really garner the assets that people thought they were going to because people, you know, they like volatility. You like volatility. I like volatility, sure. right? Like the investors want volatility. When we saw all that happening, we said, okay. Is there a different way to approach this? What else do people want out of a, a single security other than just leverage or inverse? And we thought yield. Um, so we worked with our friends at Zega uh, and we created the Yield Max Suite. The breakout hit has been Tesla. Uh, it just crossed 200 million today and that's in less than six months. But we also have a version of Apple, OARC, which I can't say what it writes call options on, but it writes them on an innovation ETF. Um, uh, we have NVIDIA, we've got Berkshire coming, the two that I'm really excited about that we filed for are in the digital asset space. We have Misty, which will be micro strategies with a yield. By selling calls on micro strategies, the yield you can get is insane. The current yield on the Tesla one is almost 70%. Um, uh, we also, Wait, yeah. What? Yeah, because you're selling the volatility premium of Tesla. So the more volatile Tesla is, the more yield you're going to get. Well, I'm gonna have to circle back on yeah, this one. Yeah. You know, and Go so, to the Yield Max website; you'll see it. It's, how how complex are these option strategies? You know, so, for these for these types of funds. Are they? Well, you mentioned Burke. Yeah. So I would imagine Burke is gonna have a much different profile than Tesla. Obviously, you know that stock performs like a lot more. 
I don't say it's a lot more stable lot in volatile. a sense uh, yeah. than in something like Tesla. But yeah, Burke was actually the first idea of because Berkshire doesn't have a dividend. So how do you give it a dividend? You sell a call against it. Now all a call is is you're selling the volatility, right? Berkshire has very low volatility, so we'll probably get maybe a five to eight percent dividend on that. Whereas Tesla has insane volatility. Right now, it's throwing off a 70% annualized dividend. It won't always have that. It's just a matter of selling the volatility when it's there. Yes, they are complicated strategies. They are actively run by Jay over at Zega. He's an options guru, <laughs> and he works on this all day. We use very short-dated options to get as much yield as possible. Now, does that fund have tax efficiency? No. Okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> no um, the tax efficiency is for buy and hold. When, you, when you're getting distributed income, you're going to pay taxes on gotcha. it. Gotcha. Yeah. So it's important for yeah, people no, to know, but, but, uh, but there's no other way around it. There's no know? other way around so, it. If okay. you're getting paid, you're getting to pay taxes. <laughs> um, shifting topics slightly here, um, but, but not too not too much here. But I mentioned earlier about that that league table that I was uh, looking at from ETF Action and and the crypto digital mining ETFs just just blowing it out of the water. Um, I remember the first. I remember two funds coming to market a few years ago to do the blockchain, uh, BLOK was one of them. And it was a race, I remember I remember it very, very specifically because I would have a relationship with both managers that were bringing it to market. And it was like, a, it was watching two people sprint like their life depended on it to get to the finish line. It wound up being a tie, everybody. They both got to market on the same day or the same week and, and everybody, you know, the rising tide lifted all ships. But BLOK was was one of them, um, uh, and that was that came to market from Amplify and had amazing success right out of the gate. I'm, I remember it too because the people I was working for at the bank, we don't trade Bitcoin, yeah, we don't trade do blockchain. Yeah. I'm like, you can't trade blockchain number one, yeah. and we're not trading Bitcoin. We're trading equities. There are equities in this ETF. Don't worry about anything else. This is like any other regular equity based ETF. But there's a strategy and there's a science behind it. Tell us about it. Yeah. So. Block is one of my favorites, and it actually comes out of um, an idea that we had in the past, which was an ETF of all the ETF companies, right? Uh, we loved this idea. It was called TETF. It never got assets, but you know, it owned BlackRock and Wisdom Tree and State Street and all the various things. Yeah. And uh, I was at an interview at, at Market Watch in 2017, and they asked me what what could stop the growth of ETF industry. I said, only thing that could replace it is blockchain. And they laughed at me. And then I went and started doing the math and hell, the ETF industry at that time had like 6 billion a year in annual revenue and blockchain was already at like 30 billion. I was like, okay, there's something here. I need to hedge ourselves by embracing this. And Dan Weisskopf and I went and did all the research on the blockchain companies and we built a strategy actively managed that uh, tries to seek out all the best ideas in the blockchain area we're the only ones that have spot Bitcoin exposure in there. We, we own the Canadian Bitcoin ones. Uh, we do all kinds of things in the cap structure. We've done IPOs, we've done SPACs, we've done private. So Block is an extremely active approach. We're up over 50% on the year. It's one of my favorite funds that I've ever launched and um, it's definitely one of my babies now. Well, well this whole space is, I mean, we yeah. are, and now for, for people that aren't like Mike and I, you know, we get hit bombarded with headlines and, and news releases and there was recently, there's been a lot of buzz around <laughs> a spot Bitcoin ETF. Is it gonna get approved? Is it not gonna get approved? People are filing for it. They're pulling their filings, they're refiling. There's a lawsuit, it, it, there's, there's so much going on, but I can assure you that in the last, you know, I don't know, four to six weeks, 
Um, there were some headlines that came out, major asset manager filing for, for spot Bitcoin ETF and, and others right behind it. And let me just tell you, the street is buzzing right now. No one really knows if approval is going to be granted, um, but I can assure you that the regulators, the custodial banks, the coin platforms, the issuers and managers are all bracing and trying to prepare for what if there is an approval later this year. Uh, because if there is one, there are complexities and nuances to non-exchange-based products, right? And so it won't be easy, believe me, but but this is really exciting. I gotta yeah. think that a lot of the the recent performance in these in these stocks is is maybe preemptive of if this gets going, this space is just gonna blow up. Yeah, I mean, look, Bitcoin's up 81% as of the end of June. So they, there's that last 30% is all the buzz around BlackRock's filing. Um, I'm getting, like, we're a platform that helps people launch and grow ETFs. I'm getting a call every 10 minutes about this right now. And I'm on the phone with every regulator and every exchange and every lawyer. And you see the Twitter sphere, you hear all this stuff, and you would think a lot has changed. The only thing that's changed is BlackRock jumped in. The, the SEC hasn't moved at all. The regulators, the tone hasn't moved at all. And I still don't think, I don't think Murray could clear this stuff right now. I don't think most of the street could clear this stuff. It would stuff. be cash. I think yeah. I think right now it would be cash. You know, and then look, it would require people to have a wallet somewhere. It would, it would require yeah. APs or market makers or both to have a wallet somewhere. Again, this is, it's kind yeah, of- How would you hedge yourself It's though? new business. Yeah. I, again, these yeah. are, you know, these are questions that, that are being asked and, and I'm sure they're being solved for because look, I mean, if there's demand. What's interesting though, is, is that like gold or like uh, short duration treasuries or um, you, you know what I mean? Like there are certain types of products where how many gold ETFs do you need? How many um, US dollar ETFs do you need? You know, there's how many Bitcoin or spot Bitcoin ETFs will we need? I think if there's an approval, you're gonna see how fast the herd is thinned out. Yeah. And the winners will be those with great distribution power. That's it. It'll it, it's gonna come down like everything, it comes down to distribution, but in in a, in something like that where it's gonna be hard for someone to differentiate management outside of fees, it's gonna come down to distribution. Yeah. Uh, right now everybody is just wants to be in the race because we saw when the first futures one launched three days before the other one. One's got a billion dollars, one's under 50 million. So three days matters in this race, and that's why everybody's running. Um, and there's a million crazy rules that were written 90 years ago that are governing this process. 90-year-old laws are deciding on when you're going to get a spot Bitcoin ETF. Chew on that. <laughs> yeah, well, there's a, there's a lot of old rules. that, that we Look, we had a lot of regulatory advances it, it, for the ETF industry, 6C11 was our biggest yeah. one. Again, it's probably too much inside baseball for most listeners, but I can, basically what it means for us is the the regulators that, that watch over our businesses and your best interests, our best interests as well, um, have, have advanced efficiency in bringing products to market, reducing some of the legal costs and some of the hurdles, making it easier for individuals um, who have great well, ideas. Exactly, yeah. making it easier for people like me, Kevin, to bring a product to market uh, so that they can compete. Um, it's a seven, it's it's a north of seven trillion dollar uh, asset base here in the U.S. alone. 
with more than 3,200 ETFs, I think we're, we're currently looking at. We expect that number of ETFs to double in the next few years. We expect assets to possibly triple, you know, uh, in that time. So there, there's no bad ideas. I've, I've long, it's been a long time since I've actually said that's a dumb idea, right? Because it, it people are way smarter than me. You know, they're gonna, they're gonna come up with an idea. They're gonna have passion and conviction. They're gonna bring it. They're gonna get someone like you to help them get that product to market. And then again, it comes down to distribution, making sure people know about it, they can learn about it, they can read about it, and yeah. uh, that's it. Well, Mike, I can't thank you enough for yeah, being here. Fun, I'm just going to wrap up a yeah. couple of things here, and uh, we'd love to have you back and look forward to doing more business. I want to see this uh, next roster of ETFs coming down the pipe. Sounds so, good. All right, great, Mike. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, in closing, uh, and look, I hope everyone's having a wonderful summer. Uh, we're, we're in July now. Um, we're real excited for the second half of the year. As I mentioned, uh, the hottest day on record on planet Earth was uh, recorded recently. That's pretty exciting, I think. I don't know. I like hot over cold personally, but um, <laughs> I blame the big bonfires in Canada personally. I think that's probably why, you know, the hottest day on record was, uh, <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. Um, the Yankees and the Red Sox. Okay, I don't know how many people are into baseball out there, but would you believe if I told you the American League East, which historically, I mean, like at least in my lifetime, that is the division to watch in baseball, right? The Yankees and the Red Sox are at the bottom of the AL East. I don't think in my lifetime that's ever happened. So if there's a baseball statistician out there, you know, and pr prove me wrong and, and let me know when, when was the last time that those two teams were at the bottom of the AL East all by themselves. Um, anyway, that's the kind of stuff we're thinking about. Uh, we think a lot about work and a little bit about baseball and summer fun. So we'll be looking forward to coming back to you shortly with some uh, more guests and more exciting ETF topics. I'm Chris Hempstead. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thanks for joining us this episode for On the Vine ETF podcast with Chris Hempstead. Make sure to visit our website at www.otvpodcast.com for a copy of the show in print and to subscribe for email updates and add us on any of your favorite podcast stations. Tune in for the next episode for more ETF investing news and product profiles at On The Vine. Important content disclosures. Speakers identified as part of this podcast are not research analysts and their comments should not be considered to be an investment recommendation or investment research regarding security of any company. Speakers in the podcast are expressing their own opinion and their statements should not be construed as reflecting the views of Murray Asset Securities USA Inc. Third-party speakers or non-Murray employees may not be subject to FINRA regulations regarding conflicts of interest and or required disclosures, and the viewer should be aware that they may have financial interest in or other conflicts of interest with any companies discussed. Statements made by participants in the podcast are not intended as investment opinions or advice. This podcast is produced solely for informational purposes and not to be construed as an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to buy a security in any state. The information herein is based on sources believed to be reliable, but is not guaranteed by Murray and does not purport to be a complete statement or summary of the available data. Any opinions expressed herein are statements of judgment on this date and are subject to change without notice. Neither Murray nor any of its directors, officers, employees, representative, or agents accept any liability whatsoever for any direct, indirect, or consequential losses in contract, tort, or otherwise arising from the use of this communication 
or its content or reliance on the information contained herein, except to the extent that this would be prohibited by law or regulation. Any unauthorized use, reproduction, or disclosure is prohibited. Receipt and or review of this presentation constitutes your agreement not to reproduce, display, modify, distribute, transmit, or disclose to others outside your organization the contents, opinions, conclusions, or information contained in this podcast.